Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all other lovers of the Bible. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. This week we're taking a look at not the first reading, but the psalm reading, because the first reading is Acts still, here at the end of the Easter season. This is for May 24th, 2020, and the text is Psalm 68, some assorted verses from Psalm 68. And uh, Rachel's done some preparation for us, so why don't we get right into it, Rachel? Uh, help us help us get a handle on this. I, I like that image, some assorted verses. It's like some assorted cheeses, you yeah. know, just some different kinds. There's some stinkier verses, and then there's some really sweet ones, a little nutty. Well, help us get into the smorgasbord of this. The smorgasbord. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I was prepping uh, for this week, I couldn't help but think about the date that this was going to come ready for. Um, May 24th is typically close to graduation Mm -hmm. Sundays for a lot of people. Um, And that's just going to be so different this year for high school students, for college students, um, really for anybody who's in a, a grade and is missing that sort of ending moment. So um, I didn't really find a whole lot of ways to talk about that in particular, but I would just encourage folks to keep that in mind um, in the back of your head as you're preparing, as you're listening to this podcast. If anything jumps out that seems to connect to that reality, I would definitely grab that and, and run with it. Thanks, thanks for helping us frame it that way. You've always got that pastor's heart working here. <laughs> so uh, let's get let's drill right down into this psalm and, and get to a real specific question. What does it have to say about God? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that'll be a quick conversation, right? right. Uh, so, so this is an interesting psalm because you can kind of break it up into verses that we have for it. You have um, verses two through four, which sort of set the frame. And then you have a couple of chunks of verses which describe different things about God. Um, it's, it's a hymn of praise. It's a song of praise. But you could also think of it as kind of like a, a modern love letter, um, especially one from a teenager who's talking about like a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend and just goes on and on and on. Like, they're just so awesome and they're so kind and they're so strong and they could do such amazing things. Mm. That's, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. God there's, is my there's girlfriend. Different yeah. <laughs> oh, we are on fire today. Uh, yeah. Th- so there's different aspects of girlfriend God that are being lifted up here. <laughs> All right. So so what are some of those themes that come out here? Yeah. So in verses four through six, it starts right off with the the just God, God of justice. Um, and we have a couple of verses there that are kind of key that I'm going to come back to in a minute. But um, the JPS translates them, the father of orphans, the champion of widows. And um, the NRSV talks about the the father of orphans and protector of widows. But Mm. it's this idea of people who are without a full and complete family, that God somehow comes in and both fills that void and in some way um, provides for those. Uh, so so I don't know where we're going to be May 24th in, in terms of the whole COVID-19 thing, but gosh, I think there's a lot of homes right now that are, are feeling the void of people who can't be there, um, either because they're quarantined or because they need to stay away for the safety of the people they love. And, mm-hmm. and that feels like a really worth mentioning, I would say. Definitely. 
Now the next section is verses seven through eight, and from there we pivot from this image of the just God and the the father of the orphans and protector of the window widows to the God of war, which to us feels sort of like uh, jarring. Mm-hmm. I, I think could be a good word to describe it. You know, uh, it's not exactly. You know, we don't have many hymns in our churches today that go on and on about justice and then pivot immediately to war. Right. Uh, that's that's something in our minds that that feels separate. Um, but in actuality, in the ancient Near East, they would have been really intertwined. Um, for the ancient Near Eastern reality to have a God who was able to conquer and to lead people to victory uh, was incredible. And, and in some ways, especially for a really small country like Israel or Judah, it would have been everything. It would have been really, really important. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons why it's here in this love letter. Now, in the next section, it pivots again. So we have God of justice, God of war, and then verses 9 through 10 talk about creator God um, with a little bit of a return to this theme of justice because uh, bountiful rain, your land languished, um, and then it talks about your people dwell there and God, you provide for the needy. So it's just all of these amazing things about God that the psalmist is really in love with. Um, One quick Hebrew thing that I'd like to talk about in verse 10, it says that um, God in your goodness, you provide for the needy is the way that the uh, JPS translates it. The NRSV also says provided for the needy, but the Hebrew is this word tachin. And this is a really interesting word in the Psalms. It's a word that I've kind of followed a little bit because where it shows up, interestingly enough, is in relation to the lave, Hmm. to the heart. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the times when the psalmist is asking for God's help, um, what the psalmist asks for is to establish my heart. That's what that word means. In Hebrew, it's it's kun or chun in its root form. And it means to like establish, to ground. I think we've we've talked about it a little bit before, right? Yeah, yeah, it's come up for sure. Yeah, so it's it's just interesting here that in this moment, in this this kind of um, providing God moment, there's this overtones of not only this physical providing, but this very grounded um, nature or essence that the psalmist is asking for as well. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, for for folks that have a spiritual heart murmur, they need yeah. they need this as sort of a, a shock to. Uh, to, to make their rhythm stable again. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also a really nice way that you could talk about the Psalms intertwining things that we want to keep separate. Mm-hmm. We want God to provide for the body and the spirit and the heart. And what the Psalm says is you provide for one, you provide for all. And and that's a sweet sermon there too. Mm-hmm. And really that, that theme of chun, of stability, it was really important mm-hmm. in a, in a culture that really they saw flourishing as sort of the keeping of of a healthy status quo of a stable existence that that sense of stability was one of their highest cultural values yeah yeah and i think it's something that we can relate to a little bit easier now when everything kind of seems turned upside down mm-hmm. uh, i was driving driving down the road the other day to my daughter's um, elementary school and it struck me that i haven't driven down this road in like a month and a half and it was like ah oh, man I want that stability back. Right. So. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting little insight. I mean, the way that our own sort of cultural sense is to always try to be improving things and and reaching mm-hmm. out for the future 
And in a time like this, man, what I wouldn't get for just a normal day. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the way that this psalm talks about war. It seemed like there was a little more there to explore. Do you want to circle back to that? Yeah, I do. I, I think that um, that's if you're going to preach on Psalm 68, this could be a really interesting angle to take uh, because war is one of those topics in America today that is very much a lightning rod and it's very divisive. Mm-hmm. Um, for for some of us who have had experience with war, the idea of a God who conquers in war or who, who really is just mighty in battle sounds amazing. Um, and, and I think it sounds amazing in a way that it's hard for us who haven't lived through actual war to understand. Um, our, our bodies don't carry that stress. Our bodies don't carry that memory in a way um, that it feels as if it's just always just around the corner. Um, so for those of us who do carry that in our bodies, to have this image of a God who fights on your behalf is incredibly comforting. Um, and I think it's worth I think it's worth stating that from the pulpit these days. Uh, I, I was reminded recently um, in one of our conversations, Tim, about uh, a high school friend of my brother's who went to fight in the Iraq war and came back with um, a, a pretty significant level of PTS or PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, and he was talking to my dad about it, who's a pastor, and, and he framed it as, you know, I feel like I've been asked to give up my right to a conscience so that other people can live with theirs. Um, so I think just being very careful and very aware of how we talk about war in church is is helpful. The other reason that I bring it up is because we miss what this psalm actually has to say about war, which is really, really important because it's left out of the lectionary and because our minds go to our modern context. Uh-huh. So if if you jump to verse 30, Verses 30 and 31 are not included in the lectionary text. Um, So what they say are, Rebuke the wild animals that live among the reeds, the herds of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in wars. I mean... That, that sentence is huge. That sentence is everything that this psalm is talking about. Yes, it wants a mighty God who can, who can be impressive in war, but what it ultimately wants is an end to war. Mm. This is a little nation that is asking for these things. Um, this is not an empire, a conquering empire. And those, those references to animals are references to empires which have been harassing the little nation. So this is not a prayer from an America, so to speak. It's a prayer from a small country who is in the throes of the conquerors. And ultimately what it's asking for is an end to conquering altogether. Scatter the people who delight in wars. Yeah, I mean, that's a really powerful way to look at it. I I do wonder a little bit, though, about, like, say, verse 32, which follows right up on that. Tribute bearers shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten its gifts to God. Um, The the piece that's envisioned there is one where uh, the people of Israel are 
come out on, on top. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's not quite as, um, you know, so again, ancient Eastern context of war, there was never going to be a day without war. You know, somebody had to come out on top. Mm. They weren't envisioning global peace, so to speak. They were envisioning an end to empire and an end to, you know, where under the empire of God, the reign of God, so to speak, there would be no more war. Um, but what we do get with that is a reference to Egypt and Kush, as you called it, which are Ethiopia, mm-hmm. both African nations, um, which in our modern context, you can understand why that verse was left out. Um, it, it would be problematic in churches today to talk about, let's have African nations come to our God and bring tribute when we're in such a, you know, in the Lutheran church anyway, we're in such a predominantly white context. Mm. Um, so when I was trying to, when I was thinking about that, uh, two things came to mind. First of all, it's important to remember the relationship between Judah, Israel, and Egypt. Egypt was the conquering nation. Egypt was a huge dominant power in that area. Right. Um, so it, it was not the same relationship that is today between America and, and African countries. But the other thing that I think is really beautiful is um, Denise Domkowski Hopkins has a Psalms commentary. And in it, she has um, interacted intentionally with the African-American community in the United States and pulled from those resources. And she has this really beautiful comment on page 193. Uh, She says, African-Americans saw themselves referenced in verse 31 by the words Ethiopia, Cush, and Egypt. But instead of a declaration of submission of one of Israel's enemies, black worshipers perceived a universal invitation to share a particular story. The reference to Ethiopia became a promise that affirmed their humanity, ethnic identity, and community. So it's just interesting and I think good to know that historically in the black church in America, there's been a strong movement to interpret that as inclusion Mm. instead of submission again, doesn't change the words of it, which definitely lean towards submission in the Hebrew. But if you're talking about the way that text has been received and the way that it has been used in the church today, uh, that's just an important thing to note. It's seen as an invitation in many in many circles. Yeah, as with, with many of these types of things, a lot of it depends on who's wielding the text <laughs> yeah. for what, what yeah. counts as uh, an acceptable and helpful interpretation. Yeah. Great way to well, Rachel, it. you've done a great job sort of showing us the the structure of this psalm and some of what's going on in the Hebrew and a little bit of the context. How would you preach from this psalm? There's a couple different angles I could see. Um, first of all, there's a lot of emphasis on victory here. Uh, there's a lot, like we've <clears throat> talked about, a lot of war emphasis. I think you could talk about this psalm, especially in our modern context, as victory in the face of death. And I think the psalm lends itself to that, too. Uh, This emphasis in verse 6 on the father of orphans, the champion of widows. An orphan is an orphan because of death. A widow is a widow because of death. We are surrounded by death in a way that um, we always have been Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, but it's just a lot more present and it's a lot more real to a lot of people these days. So, So preaching about how your church understands God's victory in the face of death could be a really powerful sermon. And a relevant Easter theme. And a relevant Easter theme for the last Sunday of Easter, exactly. Uh, There's also this really beautiful beautiful emphasis on homes and habitation, which we didn't talk about too much, but 
also relevant for people who've been stuck in their homes for a very long time. Verses 7 and 10 have some beautiful references to it. Uh, but ultimately, I think take any of the themes we've talked about today and talk about how this psalm turns them upside down. Israel, the tiny community, becomes the conquering um, nation, but not just the conquering nation. It scatters those who delight in war. Uh, I think any of those themes could feel really powerful in, um, in a, a place that already feels upside down. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, well, uh, preachers, take this psalm and run with it. I think it'll serve you well. And uh, that's probably where we should come to a close for this week's episode of First Reading. Thank you, Rachel, for all your hard work on this. My pleasure. It's a great one. I mean, the psalm, not my work. The (laughs) psalm is great. Anyway. Both. Both. Yeah. (laughs) All right, folks, you know where to find us. We're at firstreadingpodcast.com. You can go there and see all of our back episodes, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Preachers, bless you for your service. 